What's up, friends? Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. This is Ben Pukolsky. As always, framing this podcast around living your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. And if you love your life and you love your body, I hope you love your sex life. And today is the Sex Life Deep Dive with Dr. Amy Killen. I sat down in person with Dr. Killen in London, England, right before the Health Optimization Summit. And she's awesome. Love this lady's energy. Love this lady's information. She has a sincere desire to help with a pedigree that's a mile long. I mean, she's been to some of the best schools, worked in some of the best programs, an absolute wealth of information when it comes to male sexual performance, male sexual function, female sexual function, and hormones. I ask her a lot of questions both about men and about women, about hormones. And one thing we get into that's super cool is the P shot and O shot. And if you don't know what that is, I'll let Dr. Killen explain it to you. We talk a little bit about the Gaines Wave, which is a technology she works with to optimize penal erectile function. Really interesting. Sending sound waves into your penis is apparently massively beneficial to improve the quality, uh, size, and durations of your erections. Dr. Killen's going to give us some details on that, as well as some other cool stuff around hormone optimization, lifestyle optimization to make sure you are having great sex well into your ripe old ages. I hope you guys love this conversation with Dr. Killen. As always, if you do, share it with at least one person you know and love who could benefit from this stuff. This podcast is brought to you guys by Blue Blocks, my blue blockers of choice. Ashley and I talked about this on a Q&A recently. Blue blockers have kind of become a trend. They've become a fad and there's tons of different varieties out there. And unfortunately, it's not regulated. So you can go on Amazon and buy quote unquote blue blockers for five bucks, like super cheap coming straight off a boat from China. Who knows what they do? They probably don't do anything. They're probably just glasses. And if you're trying to block light, if you've listened to the podcast I did with Andy Mant, you're going to know the necessity of paying attention to how much blue light exposure you're getting during the day, how much you're getting in the evenings, and really, really important how much you're getting in the, in the late evenings and, and nighttime. So important. So our friends over at Blue Blocks are going to hook you guys up with a code for 15%. You can use the discount code MUSCLE and get hooked up. Now, these are all clinically tested, all third-party verified, and they look badass. These are the clear glasses you'll see me wearing randomly on Instagram on social media, Twitter, and there's certainly the glasses that myself and my children wear anytime we're sitting down in front of a computer or a television, anytime after the sun goes down. So here's my typical strategy during the day at any time. If I'm in an artificial light, like right now, if I'm sitting in front of my computer, I have a pair of clear blue blockers on. So these just block minimal blue light. And if you're sitting at a computer, what's going to happen is your eyesight is going to start to go after a while. And that's because it's been shown to be negatively impacted by excessive exposure to blue light. And reading on these screens is a really bad thing. In the evening time, if I'm driving, you're going to get you know, the sun's down, you're getting all these really bright lights in your eyes. Well, that's going to impair your melatonin secretion and impede sleep. So I wear them when I'm driving. When I'm doing anything after the sun goes down, not driving. I don't recommend driving in red glasses because it tends to skew your perception a little bit. But if you're doing anything in front of the screen, if you're doing anything where you can't control the light environment, do not do it without wearing your red glasses. So hopefully you guys are going to jump on this. And if you do, head over to blueblocks.com slash muscle intelligence or blueblocks.com and you can use the code muscle for 15% off. 
I hope you enjoy this podcast with Dr. Amy Killen. So if you're taking an approach to, you know, someone walks into your facility, whether it's a man or a woman, what's the first line of intervention? I always like to get a perspective on that, right? So is it blood tests? Is it completely subjective? Like, hey, I don't feel good. How do you approach that? It's both. I mean, I like to know, you know, symptoms are important and doing a good history and physical, but blood tests do help us a lot as well. And, you, you know, you can do blood or saliva or urinary tests. We tend to do blood because it's the simplest and insurance pays for it. Mm. But a combination of those things, the blood tests and the symptoms are how we decide on what to do. So you kind of look at an integrated approach. So are you looking at all the hormones, like including the, the stress hormones and the sexual hormones? Yes. The stress hormones, we don't always check. We can certainly do the salivary test or urine test for cortisol. That's not a very good blood test, cortisol. But as far as the stress, we always do the sex hormones, this thyroid hormone. We look for all of those things. And then we also check for just general markers of health, you know, liver function tests and cholesterol and um, inflammatory markers and things like that, because it all kind of goes together. Once you start making changes in the hormones, uh, you'll generally see some trends in the other tests as well. Right. So is it typically you have someone coming in who has these hormone deficiencies? Do you often just send them down the path of replacing? or is there some other interventions you're looking at? It depends on the age and it depends on the symptoms, also on their preference. You know, if it's someone who's young and pretty healthy, then we'll oftentimes try to work with them on lifestyle modifications. You know, if you have a young guy who's 35 and his testosterone's low because he's had some poor lifestyle choices, perhaps there's a lot that they can <laughs> There are a lot of things that, you know, that that person can actually do for himself that with some education, he can make a lot of changes and, and he's probably going to be in the normal range. Whereas if it's a 60-year-old guy with low testosterone, then he's probably not going to make his own testosterone or at least not as well. So we'll do kind of, you know, both. In that right. guy. And you said normal range. And, and I think that to me stirs up you have to be somewhere in this kind of median of the population. And I think that's a pretty subjective thing, right? And we know that over the last 20 and 30 years, that range can, tends to trend down. Mm -hmm. So where do you tend to try to place people if you can? I know it's obviously hard to like target because it is kind of a transient thing. Do you have like a preferred range that people should be living in? Yeah. I mean, we're usually going for a middle to upper end of the normal range of a, you know, of a healthy 20 to 30 year old man. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the blood test and what lab you're using, but for traditional labs, it's somewhere in the 700 to maybe 1100 range for total testosterone. And then we also look at free testosterone and as well as SHBG and some of the other hormones that yes. are involved. That's great. That's great information. But talk to me about the SHBG and the free testosterone and what you're doing to maybe help that increase, right? Because we know that just taking testosterone for a lot of people doesn't work. For most people it works, but varying ranges and, and receptiveness responsiveness to it, right? So do you have any interventions for those other aspects? You know, it's hard because, you know, SHBG, which is the binding SHBG. hormone, yep. exactly, that binds up testosterone and keeps it from being free. A lot of people are like, you know, how can I just lower my SHBG? But actually having a low SHBG is not something that you really want to have either. It's usually a sign of insulin resistance or some other kind of problem if it's too low. You know, normal or higher SHBG is not a bad thing, but it is a bad thing if it's binding up on your testosterone. Right. So, you know, generally in those patients, I tend to trend towards giving more total testosterone, just knowing that we want to keep the free in that optimal range more so than even the total. Interesting. Now, any backlash as far as estrogen goes right there, right? So someone taking any exogenous testosterone, if they're converting to estrogen becomes an issue, any 
concern there? Yeah, sometimes. You know, I tend to go based more on symptoms than number for estrogen. You know, certainly I check estradiol levels in men, just like with women, but I don't tend to act on it unless they're having some kind of concern. So gynecomastia, you know, the breast tissue is the most common thing that people complain of when their estrogen and testosterone ratios get kind of out of balance. So we can do an estrogen blocker like an aromatase inhibitor in those patients. And, you know, I have a lot of men who will take those just occasionally to keep their estrogen levels down. Interesting. Any negative health concerns with the aromatase inhibitors? I've heard varying opinions and perspectives on that. There's a potential increase of blood clot risk. It's been kind of shown occasionally, but it's not something that is you know widely worried about. I haven't seen long-term studies using those. You know, I think occasional use is fine. I also don't think that you have to be worried about just the number. If it, you know, the number is high, but you have no symptoms, you're probably fine. So talk to me about that, right? So first of all, what is the normal range? What was something you would consider high? It depends very much on the lab. You know, every lab is different. Lab core, Quest, there's all different sort of labs out there. But, you know, somewhere in the 20 or 30 range is considered to be pretty normal. If it's like 60, 70, 80 for estrogen, then it's high. But it depends again, kind of on what the lab is and what their normal range is. Right. And what number would you consider blocking at? If it was, you know, 70, 80, 90, I would think about blocking it, but again, more so if they had symptoms or problems. Interesting. So now looking at ladies, which I think and I get it could just be ignorant, but I feel like it's more complex. Talk to me about how you approach that. So yeah, women are a little bit more complex. Yeah. I agree. Their hormones, you know, are just because they're fluctuating all the time. With right. men, you know, it's usually testosterone goes up and down throughout the day, obviously, but it's not like going up and down throughout the month as much as with women. Women who are menstruating and are still having periods, then we'll check the hormones at a certain time of the month and kind of see when what they are. It's usually at about day twenty-one. So, so that would be when estrogen would be highest, no? In women who are still having periods, they're looking mostly at progesterone. And estrogen is less important because we know that their estrogen is pretty normal mm-hmm. if they're still having periods. But progesterone starts to go down and testosterone as well, starting maybe about 10 or 15 years before menopause. So we're talking about you know women in their 30s oftentimes have low progesterone in relation to estrogen and will have a lot of like PMS symptoms as you know anxiety, difficulty sleeping, things like that that can be really problematic. Why does it happen? Why does progesterone start to be similar to testosterone in men? I mean, it's a little bit different in that, I mean, these are all age-related changes. I don't know why it happens, honestly, but it's kind of this 10-year preparation or so before menopause. And then at menopause, estrogen, you know, of course, goes down. And that's when we see a lot of big changes in women. And all of a sudden, women are gaining weight, they're getting belly weight, they're getting brain fog, their skin is thinning, they're having, you know, painful sex. That's due to the decrease in estrogen. And that's estrogen. So that's another sort of another step in the replacement cycle. And I think that not all women in the 35, 45 year old range will have, you know, low progesterone, low testosterone symptoms. They may have no symptoms and feel great, but when they go through menopause and estrogen goes down also, that's when pretty much everyone's going to have some kind of symptom. And we see a lot of those patients that come to us then. Interesting. So a man walks into your office and he's got low testosterone, maybe both free and total. Is it just testosterone administration? Or are you looking at other hormones as well to optimize the function? It depends again on the circumstance. If it's a pretty young person and we've tried lifestyle and you know he's got doing all the right things with, with lifestyle modification, then we may turn to drug therapy. And there are a couple of things that we can look at. Like for instance, Clomid or HCG have both been used to increase his own testosterone testosterone mm-hmm. production. So I tend to try to use those kinds of therapies in younger guys, because once you start giving testosterone, the guy becomes reliant on it, yeah. you know, and their body's like, Hey, I don't need to make it. I'm already getting right. it from somebody else. I get asked that, <laughs> that question hundreds of times a week and it's yes, I think it can be a good idea mm-hmm. once you're over 35. 
but you have to make that conscious decision that, Hey, you're going to be on this for the rest of your entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, are you okay with that? If you are great, if right. not great, like, you know, it is yeah. what it is. So do you feel that HCG and Clomid are an effective therapy? And if so, what is the typical protocol? I do think they can be. Yes. I have young guys, guys in their thirties, mostly who will take Clomid. Usually Clomid is going to be like 25 milligrams a couple times a week. The pills are, you know, it's not every day that you have to take it. So it depends on the protocol, but 25 to 50 milligrams a few times a week, generally what we do on that. And then HCG, the, the protocols are very pretty widely on that. I've, I've, yeah, as an ex-professional bodybuilder, I may or may not have dabbled in these things. I've seen success with many different protocols, but there was kind of a few that I landed on. I was like, hey, this works for me. Mm-hmm. Love to hear your perspective. Yeah. With HCG, you know, I have some guys who are only on, you know, 500 units every few times a week. Mm-hmm. I have some guys who are on 2000. So it really just depends on kind of what, how their body responds to it. I have some and guys who will do about perpetuity, kind of ongoing, or you know, on off or? I like the idea of stimulating their own production and stopping it. I like the idea of that. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't always work for yeah. sure. I mean, sometimes what I'll tell patients is, let's do this for six months, and in that six months, you're going to work on your sugar intake, and you're going to, you know, lose your belly fat, and you're going to start, you're going to start working out more, and you're going to. So you're start, also a you psychologist. Know, I'm working on, <laughs> but I'm telling them like, you know, if you can dial in your lifestyle. In this six months, then you maybe don't need my help anymore, and we can get you off these drugs. That's always my goal. It doesn't always happen, but well, is HCG one of those things that you can take and then stop, and, and your body will kick back? Yep. Yeah. Any amount of time, or is it just kind of like once it's the drugs out of your system, your body will start working again? All it's doing is sending more sure. signal to your testes to make testosterone, mm-hmm. so it's acting like luteinizing hormone, which is kind of what it's acting like. But yeah, so I mean, once it's out of your system, people tend to just continue to make their own production. But again, it may fall off because they're just used to having that higher signal. Interesting. Now, have you guys started to dive into peptides at all for this hormone optimization or or human optimization space? Not too much. I've just started learning about some of the peptides that are out there, but it's not something that I've been doing with patients too much yet. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's kind of the next frontier. And I know docs, that's why I asked. I thought you'd be pushing that stuff, especially because the thing that you are doing that we also want to talk about is sexual performance enhancement. Mm -hmm as well as aesthetic enhancement. And that's super interesting because it seems like there's a whole new world out there that I was unaware of, <laughs> uh, which is very interesting, right? So we just interviewed Dr. Harry Adelson, mm-hmm. who is doing these full body stem cells. And he says, well, you know, when we're doing the forehand therapy, we have this additional two hands that comes in. And so he talked about his two, four, and six hand right, therapy. Right. And you're involved in the four or the in six? In the four and the six. And the six, yeah. right. So tell me what that is. The full body. So the full body stem cell makeover is basically a patient comes in and we inject stem cells into everything. You know, Dr. Adelson injects all of their joints, you know, all their major joints, plus all of their neck and back all down the way. Mm -hmm. Epidurals basically does the whole body. We do IV injections. And then we also do my procedures, which are the sexual procedures, the sexual injections. So the P shot and the O shot with stem cells and PRP and exosomes. And then I also do facial injections and facial microneedling and hair injections. So it's basically like the whole thing. Yes, guys, we're talking about injecting drugs. Let's talk about that. What, yes. goes, what goes on there? So we know for, if anyone listen, hasn't listened to Dr. Harry Olson, go listen to that. He did an amazing job talking about stem cells, but we didn't talk about these injections in your nether areas. Let's talk about that. So is it, you're obviously asleep and things are numb. 
Is it just one shot? Is it multiple locations? Tell me about it. I don't know. The P shot was initially developed several years ago. What does P stand the, for? So P stands for priapus. Okay. And this is the male version. There's also a female version called the O shot, which stands for orgasm shot, which sounds even better. But the male version developed several years ago, and it was just using PRP, platelet-rich plasma, which is you know getting your own blood, spinning it, centrifuging it, using, using the platelets and their growth factors, and just injecting those. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for a long time, but in the last three or four years, we've been adding stem cells or I've been adding stem cells or exosomes, which are the, you know, the growth factors from stem cells to the PRP and injecting those kind of all together or separately into the penis. The patient doesn't have to be asleep, Every first of all. I know. <laughs> as we speak. Poor when they're like, how do I set up my husband? <laughs> so your patient can be awake and actually not as bad as it sounds. I know it sounds awful. You can use a topical numbing cream and usually it's about five injections. We're going to do two on each side. Maybe I shouldn't ask that question. I don't, no, stop. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You're numb. You don't even feel it <laughs> or you barely feel it. It's always less sure, severe sure, than people. Sure. That I, it's know. one of those things that I know. is a little it's, sacred. It's a sensitive area yeah. for sure. Yeah. So if you're asleep, fantastic. But actually you don't have to be asleep. You can be awake. There's five injections, a very small needle, and we're doing four of them are into the corpora cavernosa, which are the tubes that fill with blood when you have an erection. So we're trying to get that into those tubes where you have these smooth muscle cells, which are supposed to be these nice elastic cells. And as you get older, those cells get replaced by scar tissue or by fat tissue, and they don't they lose the elasticity. And that's actually the number one cause of erectile dysfunction in men is those cells dysfunctioning. We treat that area, and then we also treat the corona, which is kind of the base of the tip. So the effect is maybe to the vascularization of the tissue or the... Yeah. In studies, it seems mostly blood flow related. It also helps improve the health of the cells inside the penis. So you have improving blood flow, you have improvement in the health of the cells of the penis, and then you also have increased nitric oxide release in those cells, which is really important for the blood flow, the vasodilation that causes blood flow. So it's kind of a bunch of different things. I'm guessing the fact that you have a successful business means this is obviously a very successful procedure. It is successful, although, you know, the caveat being that nothing's 100% and always depends on, you know, how long the problem has been going on. Um, If there's a problem, we do these procedures on patients who don't even really have a lot of problems too. We've had a lot of people who come in through these biohacker types. If you're going to live to 120 or something, you better make sure your shit works now. Exactly. (laughs) With the P-shot, I also pair it with the shockwave therapy as well. Like, okay. like Gaines wave or similar protocols where I'll do a shockwave therapy first to kind of cause the micro trauma. And then right afterwards, I'll go in with all the growth factors and the stem cells. And that combination seems to work really well. Interesting. So it's like a recovery protocol, like you're creating the damage and then you're injecting the growth factors to right, make it grow. Right. So you get bigger. You know, you I've know had, I know everyone does ask me that. There are no studies that have shown it's gotten bigger. <laughs> Come on, give me the But truth. I will tell you that I've had a number of patients, including Dave Asprey, who talks about this, who have said that things have gotten bigger. I think I just get their ears broken. I always tell patients it's more about function than size. And they're always like, yeah, 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 yeah. But what about the size? <laughs> it's funny. I haven't told the story on the podcast before, but my son, when he was two, came out and you know, out of his room, he was like, yeah, look, my penis is hard. And he, goes, <laughs> he walks over to his brother and he goes, yeah, look, my penis is bigger than my brother's. And he's like, he's two years old. And I'm like, this is like indoctrinated in the men's unconscious mind. <laughs> This penis measuring from two years old. So it, I mean, it's an unconscious reality, I think, in our lives. Funny, but that's funny. Yeah, it is funny. Super funny. And like wearing diapers, right? Anyways, male sexual performance is a real thing, and guys have a hard time talking about it, but like, yeah, let's see what we can do to actually come to these final solutions. So does that seem like the trilogy for you? So it's like get the shock wave, get the P shot, get the 
hormones for men. That's and- part of the trilogy. Yeah. Well, I guess it's not really all a trilogy. Maybe it's a whatever the number sure. for multiple things is. Right. Other things I really work on patients is increasing nitric oxide. This becomes really important for supplementally or with breathing with food or exercise or, you know, yeah. there's all different ways obviously you could do it. But what happens is, as you know, I'm sure is that after about age 40, men are not able to, men and women, you don't make as much nitric oxide from your blood vessels lining, which is where it's made in general, that's one of the sort of big pathways, which is the L-arginine, L-citrulline pathway. So when you start to develop endothelial dysfunction, which happens from atherosclerosis and plaque buildup, those cells that make the nitric oxide, they don't work as well. So all of a sudden you were making this great nitric oxide and your pre-workout was working and you're having good erections and your Viagra's working and all of that. And then you stop making as much because of that dysfunction. But there's another pathway you can get nitric oxide through food by eating foods high in nitrates, green vegetables and, you know, arugula and beets and things like that. So that path will just stop working or can we like rehash that that pathway? The blood vessel pathway? I mean, anything that decreases inflammation, you know, and decreases your risk of developing endothelial dysfunction. So that's endothelium or the cells that line the blood vessels. So those cells, as you get older and you have poor lifestyle, especially become dysfunctional. And that's the first step before you get atherosclerosis and plaque buildup is just dysfunction. So anything you can do to reduce inflammation, again, it's all about what you're eating and how you're exercising and, you know, not smoking and your blood pressure and things like that. That'll help for sure. And, you know, maybe you're 50 or 60 before your levels go up or go down. But most men, by the time they're 40, they make about half as much nitric oxide as when they were 20. And that number continues to go down, you know, every decade. That's one problem, but you can get it from food. And so I talked to patients about that, you know, types of foods to eat, as well as the importance of making sure that your body can make the nitric oxide from food. So that's things like making sure you're not using antiseptic mouthwash all the time, because that's killing the bacteria in your mouth that are needed for the first step of creating nitric oxide from nitrates from food. Oh, interesting. And people that know about that. The other thing is stomach acid blocking medications like proton pump inhibitors, you know, like protonics or even like Zantac, like, you know, Pepsid over the counter kind of acid blockers. Just another reason to not use mouthwash. I tell everyone like stop using that stuff. It's just poison, right? It's not good. So the acid blockers are bad too, because the second step in that pathway is you need a very acidic stomach. And so, you know, if you're killing the bacteria in your mouth that are doing the first step and you're destroying the stomach acid in the second step, then you can't make nitric oxide from food. And all of a sudden, you know, you're 45, 50 years old and you realize that your erections are not good and your Viagra doesn't work anymore because the way that it works is actually keeps your nitric oxide around longer. But if you don't make nitric oxide in the first place, it doesn't have anything to work on. So I have a lot of patients who are, you know, 50 or 60 and they've been using Viagra for 10 years and it's always worked really well. And they're like, it's not working anymore. And so we work on nitric oxide and that's something that people just don't know about. Right. So as a bodybuilder, I was obsessed with nitric oxide, right? Like how do we get pumped? And I used to literally do like arugula shots. Ah. Have you ever eaten arugula? I've eaten it. Yes. terrible thing in the world. But that's how committed <laughs> and, and, and ridiculous I was. So men, if you want to start getting better erections, yeah. you start doing arugula, arugula shots. Arugula like shots, that. ditch the mouthwash, <laughs> ditch the stomach acid blockers, wow. and, and that will help for sure. Awesome. Uh, Amy, your background is extensive and insane. You're an emergency room doctor, a physician. How did you end up in this human optimization space? So you're here speaking at the Health Optimization Summit in London and teaching about male and female sexual performance, but also the other aspects of just help optimization. So how did it transition from your incredible background, (laughs) right? Like we talked about your schooling, which is incredibly impressive to then being a 
physician and then emergency room doc and then to where you are now. So I was an ER doctor for about 10 years, which was fantastic. Where was that? That was in Austin, primarily Austin, Texas. Super fun job until it's not. (laughs) So where I'm at. So I had three kids in two years. I had twins and then I had another child. 20 months later, wow. and I was working full-time in the ER at a ship that started at four in the morning. So I was getting up at three o'clock to go to work, and my husband was living out of state. It was a whole thing. I was not doing all that well and was also just realizing that my patients that were coming in the ER every day, you know, they weren't doing very well. Like they were overwhelmed and stressed, and they were gaining weight, and they were frustrated, and they kept coming and asking for help. And we would just essentially send them on their way and say, go see your primary care doctor. So it kind of all hit me at once that the way that you know, I needed to get healthy and change some things in my lifestyle. And I also needed to learn some new information so I could also help patients. So I became very interested in preventative medicine and integrative medicine, and then later regenerative medicine, which is like stem cell medicine, as all kind of part of this way to help people. So just so everyone listening gets an idea, you don't look like a mom of three, nor do you look like someone who's <laughs> been through the amount of med school you've been through. So normally doctors have this like kind of particular look, right? <laughs> Dr. Emily looks Which like she's about 21. <laughs> Actually, right? You have the skin of a 21. Like Thank you. you. Yeah, and the, your physique is amazing for a mom of three. You're, you're doing incredible. So what does it look like for you on a day-to-day basis? So, you know, is it a daily exercise routine? Is it daily walking? What does nutrition look like? Because that sometimes is where the gold lies with people like you. Right? Like we're mm-hmm. talking about these awesome protocols and that's great and that's very valuable. But sometimes I want to know what you're focusing on during the day because people ask me that question. I think that's the best question. Like yeah. I can tell you all this theoretical information, but what do you actually do during a day that allows you to continue to look and feel this way? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. I'll tell you a few things. The first thing is I is what I do at night, which is sleep for the first time. And that has made a huge difference right. in everything else. Because, cool hacks that just the you know, it's the same stuff as everyone else. But, you know, for me though, I was in the ER. I just didn't sleep. You know, I worked and three or four school. hours yeah. at a time and then I had these babies and it was this whole thing. <laughs> so I wasn't sleeping. So once I was able to get, I get like a solid eight hours of sleep every Tell night. Tell me your like non-negotiables when you're sleeping. Is it turning off the blue lights? Is it dark room? Is it cold? Is it So I have, yeah, I mean, I have a cold room. I have all the lights off. How cold? The room is about 72, but I also just bought a, the, the Uller, which is the, the new Uller, version. Yeah, yeah. I know those guys and I got yes. the new version, which which is amazing. Yep. So now I have bed at 72. Is it the chili pad? Yeah, it's super quiet. That was the only kind of yeah. sticking point I had on the, the chili pad is it's, I mean, I'm pretty neurotic about white noise. <laughs> Most people wouldn't notice, but I'm- right. This one you can dial up like the white noise sound, which I have mine up right. a little bit because I, I like the white noise. Pink, it's pink noise, isn't it? It might be, pink, yeah. but it's nice. It's like very it's soothing. Right. So I have the Uller on and I have my dark room, and then the only problem with my sleep is that my dogs will sometimes jump on me at night. Not your kids. Not my kids. My kids are amazing sleepers. Are they are 9, 11, 11. Okay. And they sleep like rock stars, which is really nice. But so anyway, so sleep was first and I love that. And then I like to do yoga. So I do yoga. I walk a lot. Walking is like one of my favorite things Sounds to do. Sounds like we're kindred souls. <laughs> as much as look like I'm not nearly as uh, muscular people as you. Laugh at me, right? People laugh because like, I'm like, what do you do for exercise? Well, mostly I do walking and yoga. And I'm like, what? Really? Yeah, true story. That's people so funny. Laugh. I used to be a little larger as a professional body. And that's talk about me. So that's important. How, often, how many times do we do yoga? Four times a week. Depends on the week. If I can do more, I mean, I'll do it every day if I can. But, you know, I like to do like kind of a hot yoga. So I have to go to the studio. So it's a kind yeah. of a... So you do a class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go to a class and then walking, hiking, you know, I can mountain bike and things like that too. But if nothing yeah, else, it's walking and yoga. Yeah. 
and walking is pretty much every day. It's not every day. If I'm working a lot, I don't always get to do it. But you know, if I have any spare time, I'll just. I live right on a mountain, so I'll just hop up onto a trail and I I can walk. And it's like Zen time for me too. Like I just like soak in the you know, experience. And right. I, I talk to myself a lot. Like whenever I'm doing presentations, I'll work out all of my ideas while I'm walking along. I'm always like talking to myself out loud, and people think I'm crazy. Oh, so everyone, <laughs> who talk, everyone who walks says the same thing, and everyone thinks, oh, that's just like a characteristic thing of yourself. But the reality is, it happens to everyone. Ah, like, good. It ends up being this almost spiritual, especially like when you get time by yourself to, right. to not talk to people and like not have to be doing something with your phone. Like it's actually meditative, right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of my lessons to people is how do you turn this walk into a meditative experience? You know, it's not necessarily a meditation, but it can just be becoming present, focusing on your breath, paying mm-hmm. attention to your surroundings. It becomes very, very parasympathetic, right? Yeah. Dialing down that sympathetic nervous system and dialing the parasympathetic. I have three interventions that I suggest for everybody. It's breathe, walk, meditate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, walking is there for it. a reason. Yeah. yeah, walking is there for a reason. Even though it seems like that's what old people do, you find that that you see, like there's so many benefits and mm-hmm. there's research like data behind it as to what's actually happening in the brain, both chemically and electrically and super interesting stuff. So dietarily, tell me what you, tell me what you do besides the rugal I'm shots. not the best with diet, I will really? say. I mean, I'm not horrible. I don't eat a lot of sweets. You know, I try to limit sugar for sure. That's, I'm not, that's not my weak spot. So it's right. fine. I don't eat a lot at meals. Like I don't eat like huge platefuls of food and, and certainly we'll do fast, some like short fasts, uh, you know, like more like a afternoon to like the next lunchtime kind of thing. I don't do long fast. I do want to. <laughs> you don't have, you don't have any weight to lose though, right? Like no, I don't have weight to lose, but just for the other benefits, sure. you know, the stem cell, the autophagy sure, and all those There's things. also this flip side of, of fasting that nobody seems to talk about is fasting is, is non-differential, right? It's not going to differentiate between fats and, and muscles. Right. So if you're not someone who's got a tremendous amount of fat to lose, like fasting, you have to kind of be careful because you could end up sacrificing muscle, which will downregulate your, your metabolic rate. Well, I'm just going to tell myself that whenever I'm too lazy to fast. <laughs> <laughs> or just dial up your weight training, right? Like That's it, true. I need you know, to do just that. like, hey, we need to do a little more resistance training here so make sure my body has what it needs to yeah. maintain all this muscle. Yeah. So you didn't give me any details. I want to know, what is it? I know you're not a big eater, but what are your kind of staples? So for breakfast, I usually just have a protein bar or nothing. What type? <laughs> I feel like you're going to. I feel like you're yes. going to. I'm absolutely gonna... <laughs> judging you. You better be careful. Now I can't remember the name. I have to say what every single day. It's a peanut butter. I'll think about it in a second. Here. So you eat like a doctor, basically. You're eating like in a rush. I eat a protein bar for breakfast. It's just a habit. Like it's like what I do How every morning. How long have you been doing this? Oh my gosh. Like probably since my twins were born. I mean, really? it's been probably like 11 years. Something to be said for a creature of habit. Though. And so I do that in the mornings. I'll have coffee usually, or maybe not. depends on the day. And then you know, I'll have lunch if I am not too busy. I, you know, I usually snack, but it may just be like a string cheese or something. Like it's not always like for real lunch, but it's usually something not carbohydrate based, but good maybe quality string cheese, it's, right? <laughs> I've been known to frequent some gas stations near right. my house. If I'm working, I'll just grab a string cheese and have that for lunch. And then by dinner is usually a healthier endeavor. And I'll try to make sure I'm having some vegetables and, you know, green vegetables, especially. I like fish a lot. So I eat a lot of fish and chicken. So you're not neurotic how you feed your kids? I'm not neurotic. I've educated them for sure. We talk about it a lot and, you know, they know what's good and not good. And they'll pour themselves a bowl of cereal and be like, mom, look, this is a bowl of sugar I'm having for breakfast and i'm like All right, at least you know it's a bowl of sugar like you know, key. they're not horrible they are very active and we try to focus on telling them about the things that they can do right and then they don't always do it but 
Right. But you're showing them uh, as a great leader and setting a good example. I try, you know, I'm not perfect. Like anyone, everyone, sure. it's a daily struggle, but it's, you know, I try to at least to show them like how to be active and how to go out and try new things and how to make sure you're exercising and doing yoga. And you know, those kind of things I think are sure. really important. One thing I don't talk a lot about on the show is women's health. So I'd love for you just to talk about any advice or anything that kind of come to mind as like the big rocks that women need to be optimizing for health because my female audience is growing tremendously, which is amazing. But I also tend to think about men because I'm a man and I tend to do that. So I'd love for you to just fill us in on some female health big rocks. You know, I think that it's similar for women as it is for men. Like I think that focusing on lifestyle as, as a foundation of health is the most important thing. You know, I think even though I don't do it myself too much, weight training and building muscle is really important for women, especially as we get older, especially as we get closer to menopause and loss of estrogen, which we know is really bad for your bones. So getting that muscle is really important and staying active. And then you know, I have a lot of women who struggle a lot with difficulties losing weight and so looking at those hormones, looking at your thyroid, for instance, thyroid's a big one in women that starts to go down a lot of women as we get older. That's again, like the normal range is pretty broad. And so you can go to your doctor, you can have your TSH checked and it can be in the normal range. You know, you can feel miserable, you're gaining weight, you're constipated, you're all the things that you get with low thyroid and your doctor may not want to replace it because you're in that normal range. So looking at thyroid, I think is really important for women, maybe even more so than men, as well as other hormones. And then, you know, the other thing that I talk to patients a lot about, and this is for men and women, but is the social connection piece and how I think that's super important for seldom spoke for everyone. Yeah, it's super important. And, and one of my emphasis is just in patients with my practice, whether they're sexual health patients or other patients is, you know, looking at that social network, whether it's one person or 10 people and having that community around you. I think, you know, we know from longevity studies that have been done that that community is one of the main three or four things you can do for your health. And I think that people don't talk about that too much. Right. Putting your health optimization hat on now, how do you feel about the ketogenic diet in general? I feel like it can be helpful. I think I, you know, certainly for weight loss, some people I think respond really well to it. I think it's hard to maintain and you know, I think it's great for your brain. I think it's great for your brain turns on and that's great. But I think that it's not for everyone. I, I'm more of a fan of sort of metabolic flexibility, you know, where you may be doing some, this for a little while and something else for a little while and, sure. and trying and based different on your things. activity and your stress and such. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, your body, as you know, like it gets used to one thing and then it's great to change it up, whether that's your weight training or whether that's your diet. To me, it's about being flexible. You don't get bored, try new things and be just ready to kind of embrace something different. Okay. So keeping that human optimization hat on veganism or vegetarianism. I think there are a lot of benefits to being vegetarian. I mean, there's quite a bit of data that show that a plant-based diet is healthier in a lot of ways, as far as reducing inflammation and risk for you know cardiovascular disease and cancers and things like that. I do think that it's important to get protein, which is what I see in my vegan patients, especially just don't get enough good protein. I see hormone so imbalances. Vegan, I, I see. Meat, yeah. Vegetarian that eats meat. Right. I think ideally for me would be to be vegetarian, like you said, like and then eats meat occasionally, or vegetarian that gets a lot of good protein because the protein is the big piece that I see missing in a lot of people. Short of eating meat, I can't see where you're going to get it. Right? Like, there's really no vegetarian sources of vegetarian good, of good stuff. That, yeah. Like, really, you can't really make an argument, right? Like, what are you eating? Tofu and. Like it's not as good for sure. Yeah. I mean, for muscle building and things, it's not as good. I also sometimes don't see a vegetarian. Some of the, some of the ones I see are the vegan patients are not getting enough good fats either. I'll see hormone changes due to right. that. You got to have cholesterol and good fats to sure. make all of your hormones. So if you don't have 
that then you can have low testosterone and it may just be that you don't have enough good fat and even the omega-3s right they're like oh you can get flax and algae but in reality those don't convert in a large percentage of the population and Mm. vegans don't often know that you have to look at your dna to find out so again coming back to this health optimization hat carnivore diet tell me about that i don't know much about that because it's not something i i mean i'm imagining you just eat meat all the time that's your diet yeah see that doesn't sound like a diet to me you're not eating like vegetables and things no so there's been huge like shift toward eating organ meats as your multivitamin as being significantly more nutrient dense mm. and more highly absorbable than vegetables as far as the minerals go and, and vitamins. I don't know much about that. It seems not healthy, but I don't know much about it. First instinct for me as well. I was like, no, that's ridiculous. You can't do that. But then as you start seeing all these people coming out and talking about it, like some of the best doctors that I get to speak with are, are all doing carnivore diet. Really? Mm-hmm. Like people you would know and respect, but I won't mention yeah. their name here, but yeah. Yes. Like, and they're like, oh, I'm very interested in this. I think it's interesting because you look at all the data on like liver and and kidneys and heart and all the uh, amazing minerals and vitamins that exist and it has in there and the absorbability, right? The absorption rate is tremendous. It Mm. far exceeds any vegetables. So they've been able to kind of substantiate the fact that if you just eat nose to tail of an animal, you get no deficiencies. That makes me kind of nauseated thinking about that, doesn't it? (laughs) Because it's culturally abnormal, right? Like some people can't look at blood of an animal. Some people can't look at the skin of an animal because it's just culturally you weren't brought up with that. If you think about it, like evolutionarily, ancestrally, we probably should have the ability to eat meat and we probably should have the ability to like kill an animal if we wanted to eat something. We should. You're right. Yeah. You're totally right. We've just got been so removed, right? Mm -hmm. Like my wife won't even look at the skin on a fish. And I'm like, (laughs) what? Like, really? It's crazy, right? I should hang out with your wife more often, I think. <laughs> I, I, think I, I don't mean that do the same thing. It's not just throwing her under the bus, but like if I'm uncomfortable with it, I try to submerse myself in it, right? I've never hunted, but I like to hunt. And I like the idea of like, if I can't kill this thing, I you shouldn't it, be eating I it. I shouldn't be eating it. Like yeah. It hurts me to even think about like, oh my goodness, I have to kill this thing. But right. imagine the amount of respect you then have for the animal, right? How wasteful are we as a society? Like, oh, That's I'm going to throw this piece of steak away. But this thing just gave us life for you. I have my kids talk. We talk about this at dinner every day. It's like being grateful that this was once alive and mm. gave its life so that you can succeed and be successful. That's a powerful paradigm to come at it. And I think I'd like to be able to do that. And all the vegans don't hate me. Like it's not coming from a perspective right. of like, yeah, no, that's, I think that's a, that's a, a worthy cause. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's funny, my daughters, so I have two identical twin daughters. So they're, you know, identical DNA, but, you know, obviously very different sure. from each other in every way. And they're the same size. Same size, yeah. and they look the same, although one of them has her head half shaved, kind of like me. Right. But the other one is vegetarian, and she yeah. has been for about a year and a half. Wow. And it's more of, a, you know, just one day she was like, I'm not eating animals again, ever. And she just like, is done. Morals. That's morals. What, like, morals. Yeah, it's so, a moral thing. For yeah, her, I always for sure. say it's morals versus health. Mm-hmm. And if you say if it's for health, you should reconsider it. If it's for morals, you're yeah, there's no reconsidering. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I can't change her mind. But, yeah. but it's for me trying to get you know the right foods into her and get enough protein into her that's healthy. It's a little bit of a challenge because I'm just not used to. Know, so dealing would with she that. like bend a little bit on some animal products like eggs or fish oils or? Yeah, yeah she'll do eggs. She so doesn't do fish. Choline is so important things. for vegetarians, right? you're getting like they say just three egg yolks a day to get that whole choline Mm -hmm. there's a lot of downstream benefits especially for autoimmune diseases right for the gut health there's some enzymes produced in the gut which escape me right now which are completely dependent on choline for production which then contributes to autoimmune diseases for people who don't don't consume yeah and brain health too for sure yeah she doesn't eat that many eggs so i'll have to get some more or supplementation right like making sure she's getting what she needs especially in the growing years like that's going to be important to her emotional health right and then quantifying sleep is she getting enough sleep because that if that starts to 
mm. the kickback, then you start to look at teenage girls with emotional health. I don't, I don't want to. Oh my send goodness! You down that yes, path, right? I'm sure it's going to be great. But I'm just like, eh. I'm sure it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll experience that one day too. Not quite as soon as you, but soon. My daughter's six, so oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to those teenage years. I'm just going to move in with her and buy a shotgun. And- yeah, I'm already seeing little pieces of that with my daughters. Right. They're in like they're in sixth grade and junior high now, so I'll get like little glimpses of you know what's coming, mm-hmm. and it's kind of scary. I think I'm getting glimpses at six. Yeah. <laughs> And I, my only response is just love. I'm like, she fights back all the time. And I just stand there with a smile on my face. And I love her no matter how mad Aww, she is at me. Good dad. What's the only way I can think of this? Like, I don't have the skill set to understand a woman's brain. <laughs> I really don't. Like, these emotional fluctuations. She's just literally fluctuating. And I'm like, I'm not going to judge you on this. It's probably just like, I'm just going to go yeah. stand here and smile and love you. And That's, a perfect, eventually that's I, perfect. Yeah, eventually I tickle her and we play and we wrestle. And she just bursts out laughing and it's all good. Hopefully it's that good when she's 16. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows if the tickling's going to work when right. she's 16? Yeah, it may or may not. <laughs> right. But it's all fun. Amy, amazing. Thank you so much. Where can people find more about you and these amazing sexual enhancement benefits as well as just your medical practice? So my website is dramykillen.com. Killen is K-I-L-L-E-N. Yep. I have several websites. That's the easiest one to find. And then I can rally you to the, to ones, <laughs> the other ones. Intelligence.com slash podcast. And then a Doceri Medical, which yep. is my practice with Dr. Adelson, which is yep. a stem cell practice. And that's Doceri, D-O-C-E-R-E, medical. And then I'm also very active on Instagram. I love to post random things. So I have a Dr. Amy B. Kellen, which is my Instagram name and also my rapper name. Your rapper name? <laughs> oh, come on. How come I didn't get no, this No, I'm not really a rapper. I'm not really a rapper, but my name is actually Dr. Amy B. Kellen. And got so it, I've, it, all, it, for like, I've always been like, this is like my like, alter ego. Name. Like this is my rapper name. So you don't actually have any good rap videos on? I don't, but if I'm going to work, I've had rap parties before. We've had to, you had to rap. And like make stuff up on the fly. Can you and, no, no, it's just, no, it's too much pressure. I can't do it. <laughs> Try it dinner. Yeah, exactly. I'll do it. I'll do it after dinner tonight. I just need a couple of glasses of dry farms, yeah. and then I'll do some wrapping for you. All right. I'm gonna take you up on that, and I'll definitely be recording that for the podcast. See awesome, Doctor Amy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gents, that's a wrap. Thank you very much for joining me on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. As always, so grateful for you guys being here. Another amazing conversation with Dr. Killen. You guys see she's just a bundle of joy, an amazing lady, and incredible wealth of information. So thank you, Dr. Killen, for joining us. Head over to Dr. Killen on Instagram. I believe it's Amy Killen. If you just look up Amy Killen, Dr. Amy Killen on Instagram, follow her there and and send her a message and let her know how awesome she is because we want to support her and her great mission and vision. And if you guys haven't already checked out blueblocks.com, go over there now and jump on this 15% discount code because they're taking care of the podcast and they're taking care of you. And it's a really awesome product that I think everyone will enjoy. And if you don't already have your kids using blue blockers when they're in front of the screen, jump on it. They've got kids sizes that actually look pretty cool as well. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much. Super grateful for you, for your time and for you living your greatest life. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.